guy who is larger than life. I, I, and, and maybe um, the best example, like one of the best examples of an argument from the first century um, as to the truth of the gospel, because Paul was an enemy of the church. Um, before this point in the book, we see where Paul is the guy who, um, when Stephen was executed, uh, he, he preached the gospel, um, was brought before the Sanhedrin, he preached at them, they got angry, they dragged him out of town, and then he preached at them some more and they killed him. Uh, Paul was the guy who stood there and held everyone's coats, which doesn't sound like a big deal, um, but in that culture, kind of the idea is that he presided over the execution. This would be the guy, like the judge who shows up to the execution and says, all right, you know, pull the switch kind of thing. So, so Paul is um, out of the gate, not a friend of Christians. Got it? Um, Paul is, uh, after that point, Paul, Paul uh, we'll see in this text where Paul persecutes the church in Jerusalem. He scatters the church, um, and then he heads out to, to attack them elsewhere. Um, some analogies I've, I've heard of this, it's a little like um, if, uh, if Hitler were to become a rabbi. Got it? Like, think of, I mean, it's, that's an extreme example, obviously, because he didn't kill millions of people, but he didn't have the ability to. Um, this is a guy who set out to execute and persecute and stop the church uh, in every way possible. And suddenly Paul turns around and does a 180-degree turn, and he is a different man. Um, and so, like, as we jump into this, this is the story of radical conversion. Um, and it, it's hard to come up with, with good examples of this because nothing is quite on this level. It's hard to – the one guy I kept thinking of, I have a friend, um, had a friend, he passed away a few years ago, uh, named Calvin. Uh, but everybody called him um, – I, I always called him Calvin. Ralph, that's right. Thank you. Um, Ralph was, a, uh, was a, a member of a motorcycle gang. I mean, I say gang. He was not a member of a motorcycle club. He was a guy who um, was, was involved in criminal activities as a part of being a member of a motorcycle gang. Um, I actually met a guy uh, in, in Indiana who was, who was also a member of a motorcycle gang, and he told me what gang he was associated with. And I mentioned it to, to Ralph. And Ralph said, oh, I thought we ran those guys out of here a few years ago. Um, he, uh, one Easter, he got the, the head of the Hells Angels National Organization to show up to church. Um, Ralph was not a nice guy. Um, Ralph had a radical encounter with Christ. Ralph became a new man. Ralph stopped riding motorcycles when he had a, a daughter because he was concerned that you know he would be killed and she would grow up without a father, and so he, would, he joked that his motorcycle was now his riding lawnmower. Um, but long hair, beard, um, preached to prisons, preached to, to motorcycle gangs. He, he repaired motorcycles to these guys, and the, the one rule was, if you come to my garage, I'll repair your bike for free, but you're going to listen to me talk about Jesus. And so he would get these guys in, and he would tell them about Jesus. Ralph was, was the most amazing example I've ever met of somebody who went from just this one extreme, you know, he was a criminal, he was a thug, um, to being a follower of Jesus, being, you know, a completely changed man. Um, and, and, and he was a great friend. He died a few years ago. He had uh, uh, um, a number of illnesses. I think he died of cancer in the end. 
Um, but during the time that we knew him, he was always kind of sick and always kind of on the edge of one thing or another. And it was very heartbreaking when he passed away. Um, but this, this is the kind of conversion we're going to be talking about, this from one extreme to another. And I couldn't think of a funny story to tell um, because usually when I hear stories like that, I'm in awe. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm usually in a place where, where I, got, I got nothing. Um, so we're going to start with Paul this week. We'll do a little more Paul next week. Um, it gets a little tricky after this point because you have to start untangling Luke's writing here, right? Because there's all kinds of gaps in the story, but Luke doesn't talk about them. He just tells it like it all happened at once, and you just sort of accept that it, you know, like, oh, Paul said in Galatians there was a three-year gap here. Oh, wait, there was like a 10-year gap here. And so you sit down and figure out the story. We're going to do that next week, okay? Um, This week we're just going to talk about Paul. We're just going to talk about what's going on. The series so far, we talked about the body of Christ theology that Paul, like, really fleshes out. There's a pun there um, in the epistles. Um, And here we are in... In the book of Acts, we're looking at the body of Christ in action. Um, and so far, what we've looked at, we've looked at um, the church doing various things. Um, we, we talked a little bit about Stephen. We talked a little bit about Philip last week and Philip running off to, to preach to the Samaritans and then to preach to uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and, and constantly on the move. Um, that's Actually, I wore my running shoes last week. I wore them again this week because we're going to talk about that again, um, this idea that when God gives us a command, our job is to wear our running shoes, right? Like Paul said, put on the full armor of God, and he mentions a willingness to go where you're, where you're sent, a willingness that comes with the gospel of grace. Um, and so we are we're going to be looking at some, sure, I'll go. So Paul has killed Stephen, He's, um, and we pick up where he has um, started up some of this early persecution. Actually, one last thing, one last, last thing. So In the ancient world, if you were a rabbi, your primary job as a rabbi was to teach other people. And so you would um, call people to be your disciples. You you didn't get to approach a rabbi and say, hey, I want to, well, you would approach and you would ask and they would say if you came or not. Like you had a a test you would have to take. You would have to be able to recite the entire um, canon of the Old Testament. You would have to be able to answer very difficult questions. And if the rabbi thought you could cut the mustard, he brought you in as his student. Um, Paul was a student of a rabbi uh, named Gamaliel. Gamaliel, we, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a very prominent Jew in Jerusalem. Um, in the beginning of the persecution of the church, Peter um, and, and I, Peter is brought before the Sanhedrin. He testifies, um, and they discuss what to do with him. And Gamaliel says, hey, let's let him go. Because if they're not from God, they're not going anywhere. They're going to dissolve. Like, they'll make no progress, right? Because God won't bless them, and eventually their movement will fizzle out. He says, but if they are from God and we persecute these guys, we're fighting God. That makes sense. Um, He was a Pharisee. Uh, Gamaliel was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. This is the attitude of the Pharisees. If you look at Hillel and Shammai, like the two ancient rabbis that that sort of um, birthed the Pharisee and Sadducee movements, the Pharisees tended to be a little more forgiving. They tended to be a little more graceful. They tended to be a little more lenient. Whereas, like Shammai, who was the head of the, the house that became the Sadducees, his rule was, you know, you can, you can clean the world with a sword if you need to. Right? And so the Sadducees were all about, you know, all about the use of force. Uh, Gamaliel said, let's let him go. Saul, uh, as a student of Gamaliel's, 
takes a different direction. This is not a small thing, okay? This is taking a major, major step away from your master's direction. So for Saul to do this, like, it's hard to put to perspective how big of a thing this is, right? This is like, like, um, like a grizzly fan showing up in a, uh, is it the alley cats? The wildcats? <laughs> Jersey. I mean, this is, I, I can't, I can't put it to perspective well. Like, this is a major departure. And it would have been very offensive. It would have been very, um, insulting to his teacher. Um, I'm just going to pick this up. Um, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Um, thank you. <laughs> he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Paul has sort of spearheaded, as we understand it, this persecution of Jews in or of Christians in Jerusalem. Um, and several years have passed. It's likely that this is about three years later. Got it? Um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of guess, there's a lot of discussion. This is not real specific. There is a period of time where the church has peace and it grows. And Saul is still out there. He's still trying to persecute them, but the church is spreading sort of everywhere else. Um, so Paul finds out, he says, well, I'm going to go to the priests. By the way, the high priests were all Sadducees, right? Pharisees and the Sadducees did not play well together. But, amazingly enough, the Sadducees were probably more willing to give out letters to arrest Christians. And so he went to the bad guys, and he got permission to go and persecute the church in Damascus. Damascus is one of the oldest cities in the world, right? It is actually, I believe I I read this week, that it is the oldest continuously occupied city on the planet. Um, It's been held by various nations, right? But there are a lot of Jewish folks there. In the first century, at this time, there was probably about 10,000 Jews living in Damascus. And there were a mess of Christians, right? Um, A mess. I mean, not a whole lot. There weren't a whole lot anywhere. But there were Christians in Damascus. We know there were Christians there. Um, And so uh, Paul gets permission, Saul gets permission to go there and to do this. Um, And so he heads out. Um, as he neared Damascus, this is 150 miles. It was about a six-day trip. Got it? Um, 150 miles, I don't know, in Montana, that's not that far. Um, in the ancient world, this is all the way across the country. It took about a week to get there. Um, so he's there. He's got soldiers with him. They're going to persecute the church. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, um, this is during the day. Very few people traveled at night. It was not a very safe thing to do, right? Um, and actually, Montana is a good example of this because we have all kinds of stretches of ground that have no light, right? And, and headlights were really primitive back then. And so if you traveled from place to place, you traveled in the dark, and you could easily be attacked by animals, or you could be attacked by bandits or whatever, so you would travel during the day. Now, this light was so bright that everybody noticed it during the day. That is no small feat. Can we all agree on that? Um, This was an enormously bright light. Um, Most scholars, or several, a lot of scholars, I read a few commentaries where these guys said it was probably God's glory 
that flashed around him, um, which would have been incredibly bright, incredibly intense. Um, Saul fell to the ground, and Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul is persecuting the church, right? But who does Christ say it is? Him, right? And so this is kind of the first time we see this inference that if you hurt the church, you're hurting Jesus. Um, If you hurt the church, you are hurting the body of Christ. You are hurting Christ himself. Like by attacking Christians, by persecuting Christians, Paul is persecuting Christ himself. Um, This is not a small thing because everything we've been talking about for the last few months has grew out of this core idea, right? Like when Paul persecuted the church, he persecuted Jesus, That, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, Paul obviously blinded, right? Like we, we, he falls down, he's blinded, he's struck blind for several days. Um, and he says, well, who are you? Um, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. He doesn't use his title. He doesn't say the son of God. I'm the person at God's right hand. I'm not the Christ. He doesn't, he says, I'm Jesus. Why is this significant? Well, there's a strong case to be made that Paul's about, or Saul, Paul, I'm just going to call him Paul from here on out. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) That Paul's probably in his early thirties, right? Which means he's about the same age as Christ was when he was crucified. So that means that Paul was probably an adult He was in Jerusalem during the time that Christ taught and was crucified, right? And so um, amongst the most skeptical scholars, the guys who don't believe anything in the Bible, right? Like these these guys who don't even believe in God, like, but will study the Bible. Everyone universally agrees that Paul probably met Jesus face-to-face at some point, right? Like Paul heard Jesus teach. Paul knew who this guy was, um, and he hears, well, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting the church. You're persecuting Jesus. Um, and so he goes on. Uh, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him to the, uh, um, by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Um, it's generally understood that Paul is fasting, right? Which, I mean, if I found out, I mean, let's, let's hit pause here a second. So Paul is zealous in his persecution of the church. Paul is one of the only people in the early world who recognized Christianity and Judaism were never going to be reconciled, right? This is something that Stephen said. Um, in his sermon, basically, this is a new order. This is a new thing. This old thing is is gone. This is it. And so, as as he stands, you know, Saul finds out. Like Saul looked at all of this, and he said, "This is not compatible. We need to drive these people away because it's incompatible with what we're doing." And then he finds out that he's on the wrong side of it. He basically helped murder one of the first martyrs. I mean, <laughs> that's a that's a thing, like to realize that you have the blood of one of, you know, God's chosen servants on your hands. I mean, to suddenly understand that the thing that you were so excited about doing was wrong. Um, I read uh, an article about um, vitamins, 
was a weird thing about this uh, this man. I forget his name. I, I'm sorry. But he had spent like 20 years of his life campaigning for people to take vitamins. Um, and, and like he had started a company that sold vitamins and he'd, you know, built his entire life up on like vitamins. And his company commissioned studies to look at the impact of vitamins on general health. And they discovered um, in their studies that vitamins have absolutely no impact on general health. I'm not making any statement about vitamins. I take them every day. I, you know, I'm not. But I, I, this article talked about he, this man. He was presented with these studies that his entire life's work was nothing, <laughs> made no impact. And he backed up and he said, no. And he kept doing what he was doing. Because finding out that you've done the wrong thing forever is a really hard thing to do. Um, I, to give an alternate version of this, I was reading about the CEO of Coca-Cola, right? And this is a man in the 90s. His life's goal, he said, well, my mission in life is to make sure that every man, woman, and child on this planet has tasted Coca-Cola, and that was his life's goal. And it was his life goal for decades until he traveled in the third world and he saw children without shoes but holding a Coca-Cola. And he realized he'd wasted his life. He said, oh, my gosh, I have been selling sugar water to people um, who don't have water. And, and he, he went home and he quit his job and he turned his life over to fighting poverty globally because he said, I can't be that guy. I can't sell sugar water. I have to make the world better. Um, I have to make the world different. Um, that is a 180-degree turn, right? Um, this is Paul. He wakes up. Oh, my gosh. Everything I've been doing is wrong. I can't earn my way to God. Paul actually later says that he was a Pharisee. He was zealous in keeping the law. He followed the commands perfectly. He had earned his way to heaven. And then he wakes up and realizes that it is all garbage. Actually, it's worse than garbage. Paul basically describes it as a big pile of dung. Like, all the work I did is nothing. I will never earn my way to heaven. Ever. And so if you are sitting here this morning and you are a person who is convinced that you are either having to earn your way to heaven or that you have screwed up so big that God will never accept you, understand that Christ died to make it so that we only have to have, like we have faith in Christ. He is our Lord. We surrender to him. We pursue him with our lives and we are forgiven. Does that mean we're perfect? No. Actually, there's a really cool thing that happens a little later on in Acts. We see where um, Peter, like, raises a, a young girl from the dead. He, he does all of these great works, like, and, and there are clear parallels in Luke's writing showing how Peter was being like Jesus, right? Um, and then in the next chapter, Peter, like, has a major failure. <laughs> because you don't have to be perfect. So all the pressure off, guys, Right? You will not earn your way into heaven. We are saved because Jesus died for us. You don't have to preach the most, do the most, work the hardest, anything else. Like You are saved because Jesus carried your sins on the cross, died for you. You are forgiven. There is nothing you could do to earn that. It is a free gift. It is grace. It is wonderful. And so Paul is there realizing he has screwed up big time. He has wasted his life. Um, and for three days sits blind, and he fasts, not eating or drinking. He, I'm guessing he prayed. Um, it's, 
and after three days in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. By the way, Ananias is a name we've heard already, right? Because another guy named Ananias, like, basically lied to the Holy Spirit and got killed for it. It's like kind of a funny thing, but there are only so many Jewish names. So um, this is a different Ananias, not the one who died. Um, There's a man named, a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas, another name we've heard already, on Straight Street, uh, and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Now, everybody's probably heard about Stephen at this point. We understand that? Hey, over in Jerusalem, they're killing guys. And not just those, you know, like not just them, this Paul guy is on it. And this Paul guy might be coming here to mess with us. And so Ananias says, yes, Lord, I'll do it right away. What do you think? <laughs> Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And so Ananias hits the brakes and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you sure? Right? Are, are you really sure about this guy? You really want me to do this? Now, we're talking about the body of Christ in action. Um, and there are a couple of things I want to draw out of this. I, I kind of touched on one earlier, this idea that, yeah, we are the body of Christ. You hurt the body of Christ. You hurt the church. You hurt the body of Christ, right? You, you kick against God um, when you kick against the church. And I'm not saying the church is perfect, I'm saying that, that I've met folks. Actually, I, I, I knew a woman, she was a good friend of mine years ago, and I pray about her often, but she, um, at the one church we were at, she started a church fight and, and basically disintegrated the church while we were there and, and did some really underhanded stuff. Like one day she, when it first started this big argument, she called all of my youth group kids. I was the youth pastor. We had about 200 kids in our youth ministry at that time, she called all of our kids and told them about how awful the church was. And we went from 200 to about 25 in the space of a month. Um, about six years later, I was supposed to give her a tour at Basher, the children's home I worked at. And I, I prayed about it long and hard. And I actually, I think I fasted a couple days because I was like, I really don't want to see this woman. Um, and I thought, well, I really need to do this. And the day of, I got called to go out of town and I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I don't want to talk to her. And the guy who gave her the tour, she asked, oh, does Eric work here? And he said, oh, yeah, Eric does work here. How do you know him? Oh, I killed his church. <laughs> oh, man. Um, if the Lord asked me to go and preach to this woman, I, I would really struggle with that, right? Like, I, I worry about her. I worry about what happened to her in the long run. I tried to look her up a while ago. Because I thought, man, people who kick against the church like that, that's not good for you. Spiritually, that's a death thing. Like, you don't do that. And so he says, listen, this guy, he's killing us. He is persecuting us. What are we supposed to do? And the Lord responds, put your running shoes on, right? A willingness to go wherever you're told to go. And so in the last sermon, the last chapter, we see where Philip is spent, sent to talk to Samaritans who everybody hated and a eunuch who was like, like categorically excluded from the faith. And now we see Ananias go, 
But the Lord said to Ananias, go, with an exclamation point. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. (laughs) That is ominous, right? And if you jump to the end of 2 Corinthians, you can read how much Paul suffered for, for God, like for Jesus' name. How far Paul went for Jesus' name. Because he needed to earn salvation? No, because Paul considered everything else worthless next to the salvation that he had already received. Like, like next to the thing that God had done for him. Um, the other thing we're seeing here, like the body of Christ is willing to forgive. We're willing to chase after. We're willing to redeem. I, uh, for years, I've, I've attended uh, AA groups. And one of the things that always breaks my heart is when I see these guys who will say, well, I wrecked my family. I wrecked every relationship I ever had. I wrecked five careers. I lost my home. I was homeless for a while. And then I found Jesus and I, or, you know, I started coming here and I quit and I've gotten my life in order and none of my family will talk to me because they'll look and say, I know you, you won't change, right? Um, What God says to Ananias is, I can change anyone. Like if you're looking at yourself, if you're looking at the guy next to you, if you're looking at the guy who lives in the house with you or the guy who lives next door to you or whoever, and you're saying God can never change that person, there's nonsense. Because Paul went from this guy to that guy, right? My friend Ralph went from like outlaw biker to like preacher of the gospel. Um, God brought me from where I was to where I am. Um, despite my best efforts, oftentimes, I've watched all kinds of folks in this place and in this community become new, different people. Um, and it's hard to look at folks and say, can Jesus change this guy? Can Jesus change her? Can Jesus move in this person's heart? And the answer is yes. Not everybody gets a light on the road. Some people spend years doing it, right? I have met folks who began to wake up to things and over the course of years became completely different. I was, I don't know if I want to say blessed. I'd, I'll say blessed. When I went from being like like broken and lost to, to Jesus redeeming me and quitting drinking, quitting all the other dumb things I was doing, I had people call me aside and say, hey, you're getting too serious. Can you bring it down a notch? We've noticed you're different. You need to stop being so different. Um, and I couldn't. Um, And so God sends Ananias, and Ananias goes to the enemy and discovers the enemy was going to be one of them. Um, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized after taking some food and regaining his strength. So Paul sat, he prayed, he begged God, and God sent a man who healed him, um, baptized him. And then we're going to see what happens next, next week. What do we do with all of this? Um, For starters, we recognize God can change anyone. And he does change people, right? God moves in mighty ways in people's hearts. Um, One of my favorite books is by a guy named Nate Larkin. Maybe like three people here know who I'm talking about. Nate Larkin was a pastor who became um, a pornography addict. 
and it like wrecked his ministry. And then he went into business and it wrecked his business career. And then he started going to AA meetings and he would just pretend that he was an alcoholic so that he could get help with his problem. And over the course of the years, like he, he got his life straight and he started a ministry um, where he deals with guys who have pornography problems, right? Because God can change anything. Um, and, and, you know, still today, I know folks who will say, well, you know, this book helped me so much. And this is, I mean, God can do anything with anyone. He can take the most broken, horrible, like wretched person and change them. And the most outstanding thing I've ever experienced and the most blessing I've ever experienced is to watch that happen. And it's hard because you've got to trust people. You know what I mean? You've got to trust that that guy can meet Jesus. You've got to trust that that girl can change. You've got to trust that those folks can be different. But the Holy Spirit can do anything. The hardest thing is to stop and watch and wait and, like, let the Lord work. Um, sometimes the biggest mistakes we make is walking away and not waiting for the Lord to work. I, I remember a lot of times... Uh, when I worked at Basher, I would invest in a kid, and I'd invest in a kid, and invest in a kid, and watch them disintegrate. And there are other times I'd be like, well, it's too much work. You know, this person, I, I can't deal with that, and so I'm not going to. And then, like, the Lord works with someone else, and you see their life change. And it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of wash my hand of them. <sighs> you know, and you feel kind of dumb. Like, the Lord can do anything, guys. Um, we're going to finish up with prayer, and next week uh, we're going to continue on with the story of Paul. Um, we're going to, con- I don't know, at like one thirty ish we're going to be uh, gathering back up to start prepping for the Halloween party, need help with that, um, just to invite people in and, and show them love. If you're going to come and just eat and talk to people, that's a blessing. Um, let's close in prayer, and I'll let you all go this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you be with us this morning. I pray that... Um, Lord God, I feel like there are people who who walk in the door of the church and think, oh, well, you know, is God going to strike me dead for being here? Um, and I feel like there are folks who who show up every week thinking, if I just check this box enough times, maybe. Um, and Lord God, I pray that you would help us to see in Paul the reality that that you save us, like you saved Paul on the road. You went and found him and made him right, Lord. And there is no distance we can run away from him where, or from you where you can't find us and bring us back, Lord, where you can't take the initiative to make us right. And I pray, Lord, that, that folks who are here who need that or who need that reminder that the folks around them are still savable, that Jesus can still make them clean and whole and new and right. Lord, God, I pray that you would give us that reassurance and that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day, guys.